Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. What a, what a powerful time of worship and just being together. This is so thankful for what God is doing in our lives and just good to be together. I, this is a, a kind of a wrap-up of, of our current series that we're doing. We've been working on this now for about seven weeks, and uh, this is the eighth week, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, and we're going to wrap that up today. Next week, we start a new series, and I'm just going to give it a title of thanks. And we begin the Thanksgiving, and I know that's real original and, and real deep, but it, it, that's all it is, just thanks. Thanks, Lord, for everything you've done. And we're going to be talking and, and sharing Thanksgiving. I'm going to share Thanksgiving stories. I've got some others who are going to give their testimony during that time. Uh, we're going to take communion together every week during Thanksgiving period. It's just going to be a, a really neat time of just remembering how good God has been to us. I love what Brooke said earlier. You know, we have been blessed, and our church has been. It's a, it's a tremendously blessed uh, church, and we're tremendously blessed people. We may not understand that every day, and some days we may not feel blessed, but man, we are. God has been so, so good to us. And so we're going to be sharing that and over the next three weeks uh, uh, in Thanksgiving. And then after that, we move into Christmas time. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? And uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, We've got some great plans for Christmas. You know what? Christmas is the one time, it's, well, it's one of the times in the year, there's really two really big times, where when you invite guests, they want to come and be a part of the church at Christmas time. And so, you know, right now is the time to start inviting your friends and saying, hey, come with me. Let's, let's be a part of Christmas and invite them to come and be a part. You know, we are to be an inviting church. If we believe that God changes lives, if we believe he sets us free like we just sang about, then we invite people to come and be a part of that because they're looking for answers and we have answers. I believe that today. So be a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, today I just ask you to be in the midst of everything that we do. Lord, we've gathered here together because we love you and we believe that you really do make a difference. You're the answer for everything. And so, Lord, we don't want to just, uh, we don't want to just meet and do our thing. We want to do your thing. So we invite your Holy Spirit right now to begin to take over, to have your way. Lord, we worshiped you today. Lord, we give you that as our offering of thanksgiving and praise. And now we ask that you will just be with us, that you will speak into our hearts and lives. And Lord, when you speak, if there's something in, our, in the message that resonates in our heart, Lord, the answer needs to be yes, 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 all the way. We want to do what you want us to do. Lord, I pray for each person who is here. You know the needs that they're facing in their lives, the things that are going on. We pray for them. Pray for those who are recovering uh, from surgeries and from uh, things that are happening in their lives. Touch them today. May you be glorified in everything that we do today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been calling that ser- the series we're wrapping up. It's really looking at our core values, and, and we've been calling it Culture Wins. And what we want to do is, uh, we said we wanted to breed a culture in the church which is based off of the eight things we believe are the keys to growing and thriving uh, uh, you, that, that you need to do in your life if you're going to grow and thrive as a Christian, and that we need to do as a church to be growing and to be thriving. And I'll list them for you one more time. Jesus is at the center. You never do life alone. Uh, less is more. Be a student and a teacher. You multiply by invitation. We're a giving people. 
save people, serve people. And now we're going to add one more. Prayer equals power. We believe that prayer equals power in our lives. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. These eight things that I've given you define who we believe God's calling us to be as a church. And, and I want to uh, share those things again with you in just a minute. There are eight things I believe that will happen automatically if we're in a proper relationship with Jesus. If we're in a right relationship with Jesus, these are the things that begin to happen out of our lives. I want to also tell you that these are not suggestions. Sometimes we make suggestions. Maybe you want to think about. That's not what I'm saying here, and I'm not asking you to think about this. I believe these are the things that God mandates to us that I believe He wants us if we're going to do, if we're going to be everything He wants us to be. And you cannot just take or leave them. You have to accept them, or you're really running contrary, I believe, to what Christ has called us to. They're the things we believe that God has called us as His church to live out. They're things that we are to model. We're to live this out. We're to model it in front of people. We're to practice all day, every day, no matter who you are, with or what you are doing. These are the things that you do. We are His church. That means we are His bride. That's what it's called in the Bible. That is, we are His pride and joy. We are His love. He looks at us and He smiles. He loves us. We are His. And since we are His bride, we represent Him all the time, every day, every day. We represent, we are Jesus Christ all day, everywhere, wherever we're at. All day long when you're with people, when you're working, when you're playing, when you're at home, when you're whatever it is you're doing, you are representing Christ. You are living out your life as Christ. And these are the things that Jesus was, and it is what he lived out. And you and I need to live them out as well. Now, I've likened the culture to a wagon wheel. You saw it up there a few minutes ago. And I said repeatedly that Jesus is at the very center. He's the hub of everything that we do. And I'm not going to go through all the details with that again, but suffice it to say that Jesus is the center on which everything else in our life has to revolve. If we're not making Jesus the center, if we're not revolving around Jesus, then we're revolving around something that is not going to last and something that will not work. And that is the first mandate. And if we fail to get that right, then we failed and nothing else is going to matter. So you've got to get that right. Right now in your life, if Jesus Christ is not the very center of your life, if you do not put him first, if you are not obeying him, if you are not living out your life in obedience to Jesus Christ, then you are not living in a way that will be successful, that will work for you. I promise you that. Not in the long run. So the goal of our life is to bring or to allow Jesus to take his rightful place at the very center of of our church and at the very center of each of our lives and the question might be is how do i do that how do i make sure that jesus is at the very center of my life how do i make sure he's the center of my church how do i keep him in that rightful place well the other day darcy and i were talking and y'all like my darcy stories because i mean it's usually me at fault and she's right it's just the way it works i don't know how that works out like that all the time but it always does so I, I was talking to her the other day, and I was kind of listening to her with my mind already made up. Anybody here ever done that before? Listen to somebody with your mind already made up. And I had my mind already made up, and as a result, I really missed totally what she was saying to me. I thought I heard it. I thought I understood. But I missed it completely, what she was really saying. And what I did hear upset me. Okay? What I assumed I heard upset me. So I made an assumption based on what I believed I'd heard, and I was upset, I was frustrated, and I was a little hurt. And finally, I said something back to her. Probably not so kind. Try to be kind, but I'm still in the process. 
And she did not understand because when I talked back to her, she said, it didn't seem like a right response to what she had already said to me. You ever do that before? You're answering questions that they're not asking. That was what I was doing. And we were pretty soon fussing back and forth with each other. I'm, glad, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't do that, but sometimes Darcy and I do that. We fussed back and forth with each other for a while, and finally Darcy said, why are you saying that? I never said those things. What I said was. And then I listened. And suddenly I realized I was basing my whole argument, my whole discussion off of wrong assumptions. I know you guys don't do that. I do that. And it was a complete lack of communication. Communication, talking, really listening is so vital in a relationship. I have learned that. And I want to introduce you to the last core value today, and I believe it's the one that wraps all the others up and makes it possible to live them out. Prayer and communication puts everything in its proper place. Prayer, communication puts everything in its proper place. I've jokingly said that if we had a fire in this church building, all I would need to do to evacuate the building is yell prayer meeting, and it would be empty immediately. I know that's kind of sad. It's bad humor, but it's a lot of truth in that bad humor. Truthfully, prayer meetings and prayer is not often really considered all that vital to the life of the church. When we talk about prayer meetings, people go, oh, i got something to do. If prayer is vital, we believe someone else should be doing it, not really me. It's not my thing, but I'm glad you pray, Pastor. Most people would say we need a worship service. Most would say we need a building. Some would say we need fellowship. Some would say we need preaching. Some would say we don't. Some would say we need singing. Some would say we don't. I think most would say that prayer is important, but not as big a deal as all that. Or they would say they believe in prayer, but they're just not good at it. I hear that a lot as well. And the truth is, if we really do the things that we think are important, then a lot of us really don't think prayer, and especially corporate prayer, or praying together as a church is vital because we do very, very, very little of it. But if you look in the book of Acts, and in so many books of the New Testament, prayer and praying are a vital part of the church life. It's vital. It's not something that's secondary to it. It leads the way in almost every situation. Now, I have to sadly say that at one time, I probably would have joined you on the run out of here when someone yelled prayer meeting. I spent very little time in prayer. I struggled with connecting to God in any meaningful way. And when I tried to pray, I often felt my words went as far as the ceiling and then bounced back. Anybody here ever felt that before? They're just bouncing back at you. When I've tried to have a quiet time, I found it was a great time to take a nap. Anybody here have that struggle before in your life? You just fall asleep. I avoid really, I had avoided preaching on prayer much because uh, prayer life and all that was just such a struggle for me that I felt like a hypocrite in saying much about it, so I didn't talk a lot about it. And I didn't want to heap guilt on people when I struggled with something. But prayer is not a subject that we can just ignore. It's not something we can just say, it's secondary. It's not as important as all that. We're, we're not going to worry about prayer. Prayer is basic communication with Jesus. It's communication. And as I said earlier, without communication, we're going to get wrong ideas. Without the right kind of communication, we're going to end up in places we, won't, we don't want to go. So prayer is talking to and, hear me out, listening to Jesus, and I believe that if you pray, and if you're quiet, and if you'll take the time, you can literally hear what he has to say to you. You can hear back from Jesus. 
And we have to deal with it and understand as much as possible so we can get close to him. We need to pray so that we know the mind of and the heart of Jesus. I believe that. We need to know the mind and heart of Jesus. We cannot get close to Jesus, our Savior, without talking, communicating with him any more than we can get close to our spouse without talking and communicating with them. So, if Jesus is at the hub, if Jesus is at the center of everything we do, then it is prayer. It is the thing that, prayer is the thing that connects all the other things that we've been teaching to Jesus. It pulls it all together. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, there's a story, an account of those who remained as Jesus um, uh, was crucified and he was resurrected. They remained as followers after that. And they're meeting in the upper room where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I read that scripture to you last week when they had met together and he'd washed their feet. Now here in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, that they engaged with one mind in prayer, talking to Jesus, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, with his brothers, with his brothers. So some observations here. One, they did not gather to talk to each other and give their opinion on the events or current events or the past month. They didn't do that. That wasn't what they were doing. So I want you to mark that down. They did not gather to argue and debate what to do next. That's another thing they did not do. They did not gather to discuss the theological ramifications of the resurrection. I mean, there were some, but they did not talk about that at that moment. The scripture says clearly that they gathered to engage with one mind in prayer. Now, I think it might have been something like this, that they gathered together with each one having his own ideas. I have said for a very, very long time, that when the church gathers together, if there's four people there, they'll have ten ideas. It's just the way it works. Everybody's got an opinion, and sometimes most people have two or three. But they begin to gather with their own ideas. They begin to pray because, well, Jesus always prayed. He had set an example, and they were trying to follow. And as they prayed, they stuck with it. They begin to draw near to God. I think one of the problems in prayer is, is that we pray, but we do not draw near to God. We don't spend the time and effort it takes to open the door and walk into the presence of God. We just want to sit down and give him our laundry list and say, here, God, do this for me. And then we want to get up and go our own way. It takes time to enter into the presence of God. You have to pray. You have to wait upon him. You need to get into a place of worship until the doors are open till you can walk into his presence. You know, have you ever met with somebody and you mean to talk to them and you sit down maybe over lunch and you're sitting there talking to each other and it's awkward because you don't know them that well. Anybody been there? It's an awkward feeling. But as you talk and as you enter into each other's presence, after a while, that awkwardness begins to go away and suddenly you feel an affinity towards them. There's a friendship that begins to develop. And as you eat together, you go, you know, I really enjoyed being with you. And that's kind of the thing that happens in our lives is that we, we, we have an a, a, a awkwardness between us and God until we enter into his presence, until we take the time to, to close the distance, to to get to know who he is, to, to worship him, and to enter into what he wants. Well, as they begin to pray, they drew near to God. They found that as they all begin to engage in prayer, they all begin to have the same desires and passions. They had the same mind. Their mind began to come together on things. I don't think they all had the same mind when they gathered. Who knows what they were thinking about? I've said, like I said, for years, everybody has different opinions. Peter was thinking maybe, how are we going to pay for this room we keep meeting in? You know, I mean, you can imagine Peter, he's a pretty practical guy. And maybe John was thinking, man, I miss Jesus. And, you know, he used to provide food. Who's going to provide the food now? You know, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Matthew was thinking, maybe I gave up tax collecting a little too soon. 
I'm going to need a job because I don't see this going anywhere. But they came together and they chose to pray and they chose to seek God and they asked for his opinion. You ever thought about that? Asking God for his opinion on things before you express your opinion on things? They asked God for his opinion. They had seen Jesus do this over and over and it seemed like a good idea. And when they prayed, they began to draw near to God. And then all of a sudden, all the other stuff began to be set aside. They began to have the mind of Christ. And they found that through prayer, they were in one mind and one accord. They had God's opinion and their opinion no longer mattered. It wasn't about them. Prayer together, corporate prayer, brings God into the center of our church life. When we don't pray together corporately, then everybody thinks they're right. And everybody does their own thing. And there is no place where we gather and say, what does God want? And I'm going to tell you something right now, that there will be no successful church until we gather and begin to seek the will of the Lord. Until we have a gathering of our minds and say, what is the mind of Christ? What does he want for our church? I'm of a mind that That we need to quit having district and general assemblies until we have district and general prayers and time where we gather until we know what God wants. And then let's do what God wants. Let's just do what God wants, right? Praying together. It wasn't too long as they continued to meet that they drew near to God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when they met, something happened. If you go over to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, God sent the Holy Spirit, which manifests among them as fire and wind. The Holy Spirit showed up. That's what happens when you have the mind of Christ, when the church begins to gather, and when they gather together and begin to pray and begin to draw near to God, the Holy Spirit shows up. And they were cleansed. Their lives were washed. All their words, their priorities, their desires were set straight. That's what it means. They were set straight. They, They were no longer doing their own thing. They were set straight on what really mattered, what really was real and what didn't matter and and all those things they were they were set straight their their sins were swept away and their sinful nature was actually cleansed because we're all born with a sinful nature and their sinful nature was cleansed it was washed and they were clean and they were set free and the holy spirit took the center stage of their lives and they were filled with power from on high power to live out the life of christ to actually do the things that jesus christ did when he was here on earth And supernaturally, the Bible says they begin to speak in the languages of all those who were present in Jerusalem that day because it was Pentecost and there was all these people there and they all spoke different languages and they were all able to speak in the languages that they could hear and understand. Supernaturally, God did that. It was like a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And they spoke powerfully of the resurrection of Jesus. And God began to move men's hearts. And no longer were they just hearing words, but it began to make sense. And it penetrated their hearts. And their lives were changed. And the church was born. And the key to the whole thing was they began to pray. And they drew near to God through prayer. They didn't rely on their education. They didn't rely on their their understanding. They didn't rely on their own thing. They followed the scripture where Jesus teaches, where we're taught in Proverbs, actually, where it tells us not to lean into our own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. And that's what they did. They began to have the mind of Christ. The opinion of God, of Christ, was all that mattered. See, prayer brings us into the center of God's heart. 
So we not only have the Holy Spirit at the center or hub of our lives, but now we move into the center of God's heart. So it's not just about us where God's here and me and I'm doing my thing, but now we move into the hub of God's heart, into where he lives. And guess what? When all of us move in there together, we're going to know what God wants and we're going to begin to work together. We'll have the mind, the heart of Christ. I wonder often how many church fights, how many church splits, how many hurt people, how much damage done by church people could have been avoided if the church would have started off instead of building buildings and and doing the things we do would have just started off with prayer and drawing close to God and seeking to have the mind of Christ what would it have been like how many of us wouldn't have some of the scars that we bear if the church would have had the mind of Christ when we gather to worship we need to come in prayerfully We need to begin to pray so that we have the mind of Christ. We shouldn't gather in and just say, well, the music's good, and well, that was nice, and and, and I don't care, it just doesn't matter. We need to pray. How many of us, Sunday morning, take time to draw near to God before we come together? We need to do that. We need to take some time. Come into the center of God's heart. Know the will of God. We need to be in submission to the will of God. We need to enter worshipfully and prayerfully so that we enter into the presence of God in total humility because I really don't know. I went to seminary. I got all the education. I, go, uh, I can read uh, and teach you the theology books, but I really don't know until I spend time with God what He really wants from me. And I need to do that in humility. I have to bow before Him and recognize that I got nothing to offer I have nothing in reverence. That's where we put God and put us in the proper perspective. It's entering in in reverence. That doesn't mean that everything has to be quiet and we, you know, like the old days. I don't care. You know, I'm glad we gather talking and laughing and enjoying because that's fellowship and that's good. But, but reverence is putting us in a proper relationship with each other and in a proper relationship with God. What is that? Do we know what that is? Have we done that? And the same needs to happen at board meetings. In fact, it needs to happen more at board meetings than it does in worship. We need to be in prayer. And we need to have the mind of Christ so that we know how to talk. Because I'll tell you what, we make a lot of crazy decisions that are based on the world's wisdom. And then we hurt people and we blow up things that really God had planned. Because we do it our way. It's not about bottom dollars. It's about doing what God says and letting Him provide the dollar. We come to worship and serve a God who is holy. We come to bring Him His glory. We acknowledge His majesty, not have our own way. How many times, because we don't enter worship in prayer and with the mind of Christ, do we make it about, do we make worship about music or style or about ourselves and our needs and about what we get out of it? See, here's the deal. And I want you to get, if you don't get anything else, Every once in a while I'll say that, and I mean that today. If you don't get anything else out of this, get this. You need to realize that worship is not about what I get out of it. It's not at all about what you get out of it. It's about what he gets out of it. It's about what God receives from me and from us. It's not about me. Think about the so-called worship wars that we've been waging in churches over the last 30 years. Wars waged over preference. 
Wars waged over what's meaningful to me. Oh, I'm walking around saying, but it's more meaningful to me if we sing it like this. I love hymn books. Or it's more meaningful to me because I just love worship courses. And nothing, nothing makes me feel better than a loud guitar ripping off a good rift. Yeah. Either way. What we should have been saying and doing is praying and saying, Lord, give us your mind. What do you want to hear today? I'm convinced if we have the desire to worship Christ, we can worship him, period, no matter what. The Bible just says this, make a joyful noise. Sometimes I think with the kids laughing and playing and just enjoying themselves, that's more joyful to God than any of our great music. I think there's some secular music that maybe makes a better joyful noise to God than does some Christian music. I know, fire's going to fall, right? In fact, I think if we're making the music unto the Lord, he's pleased. And if we're making it unto pleasing ourselves, then it's not Christian. So no matter what the words say, it's not worth anything. Because what we need is not a style. We need the mind of Christ. And we'll only get that as we pray and draw into the presence of God. See, prayer puts everything into a godly perspective. Most of the time when we come together as a church, we enter into our worship. We come into the church with our own perspective, our own worldly perspectives, our own personal agendas. And when we gather and we pray, we draw near to God and we gain a godly perspective. It's time for us to begin to try to see the world through God's eyes. To see the needs of the world through God's eyes. To begin to see God's solutions to our problems. To begin to set aside our doubts and our fears and to gain the faith necessary to attempt things that are far beyond us. And we need to have the courage to do things God's way, period. We need to begin to have a God perspective on what really matters in life and what really doesn't. I was thinking about this and I was trying to figure out how do I apply this a little bit and giving and Ian did such a great job talking about this the other day, but giving is one of the areas that we find it difficult to gain a godly perspective. People just really struggle with that because whenever you start talking about stuff like money and time, it gets real personal, okay? And so it's, it's, it's tough to gain a godly perspective about this. The worldly perspective is this. I worked for it. My dad left it to me. That, therefore, it's mine, and I have the right to do with it what I want, I can spend it all on me. I can buy all the things I want, and it's fine because it's mine. In prayer, as we begin to pray and seek God's perspective on this, we gain a godly perspective concerning all of our resources. In prayer, we learn that it all belongs to God, which is totally different than what we think it is. And he's in control of it, even when I think I am. And we need to submit to his direction for it. And God shows us a kingdom perspective for our resources. And I challenge you right now, all of you, not just part of you, but all of you, begin to pray and ask God for his perspective on giving of your time, your money, your talents, your resources, of everything that you own to God. I know for a lot of you that causes fear because God might actually ask you to do something that is out of your comfort zone. Not only for giving, but in prayer, we learn a kingdom perspective for everything. How we spend our time, how we get involved, uh, what we get involved in, and how we use our lives. So, we've been teaching again, Jesus at the center of the hub of our life, and I want to go back one more time. We've been talking about the culture or the things we value as necessary to live out kingdom life. I want to wrap this all up, and it's going to take just a moment here. All the kingdom life revolves around Jesus. That's first. Put that in your 
life, don't let that get out. Hang on to that. Everything revolves around Jesus. Today I have simply said that prayer is the way we communicate and keep our focus on Him. You have to keep our focus and our mind centered on Jesus because there's no doubt that the world, Satan, is doing everything he can to cause us to move away from that and to lose that focus. I think there's probably no greater time when we lose our focus with Jesus at the center than at election times. And I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans. I'm talking about you people, me, losing my perspective because somehow I have an idea that if so-and-so gets elected, everything's going to be okay. And that's not how it works, just so you know that. You know, Satan has no real problem with letting Jesus be at the center of your life if, if he can convince us that it's okay to make it Jesus and. Jesus and me at the center of my life. Jesus and my hobbies. Jesus and my money. Jesus and my food. Jesus and my stuff. Jesus and my sports. Jesus and dance. The problem with Jesus and is, is that it always ends up, if I do that with me at the center, or sports at the center, or my hobby at the center, or my money at the center, because I have learned firsthanded, this is an experience talking here, I have learned firsthanded that Jesus will not share the center of my life with anything or anyone. So when I allow anything else to get into the hub of my life, and when life begins to revolve around anything other than just Jesus, even if they're good things, then life gets all out of balance and out of control, and I end up in a mess every time. If Jesus is not the center, I find myself doing life alone. I find that I'm better at it, and I don't need you, and I don't want to take the time and the effort to try to find others to go along with me, so I just do life by myself, and guess what? When I do life by myself, life becomes all about me. Anybody here ever experienced that before? I find myself adding more and more things to my life in an attempt to make me feel better because things aren't working out that well, so I add more and more. Instead of making less is more, I add stuff thinking that'll take care of it. And when I do that, life gets really, really messed up. And I find myself being neither a student nor a teacher. I find that I'm too busy to read the Word, and I don't have time to pass it on to anyone else. And so I set it aside, and I just go on and do life without it. And I'm focused on all the wrong things. When I have things other than Jesus at the center of my life, I cease to invite others into the fellowship of the church and into the fellowship with Jesus because I'm not focused on Jesus, and I'm not focused on others. I'm focused on me, and they're in my way. And it takes too much effort and too much time to invite anyone else. When I have something other than Jesus at the center, I cease to be a giver. There's just not enough time for me, not enough money for me, so why would I give any of it away? Because it's all about me. When Jesus is not the center, I cease to serve others because life now revolves around me and my needs. I don't know, is this coming clear? Are you getting any of this? See, if you find yourself in any of these places where other things have taken the center of life, any of the places I've just mentioned to you, then you're not living out the life Jesus wants you to live. There's only one thing to do, and you have to confess that Jesus is not the center of your life because that's the only way life's going to work. All these songs we sing about being free means Jesus is at the center. That's what brings freedom. 
Everything else brings bondage. And how do you do that? Well, first you confess your sins one to another. I got to tell you, this week's been a good week. I had people come to me this week and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And they confessed their sin to me. They confessed one to another. Am I a priest? No. Does that get them forgiveness from God? No. But when someone confesses their sin to you, and we should confess our sins one to another. Now, I didn't say you should stand up in church and confess all your dark, dirty secrets to everybody in here. But I am saying you need your friends, your Christian friends, you can go and confess your sin to. When you do, Satan is beaten down. He's defeated because he cannot hold over your head what you have said in public out loud. Most of us are in bondage because we're hiding the truth. I thought certain things. I act in certain ways. I'm very selfish, but I don't want anybody to know. That's why I come to church. No, I'm, I'm very nice. I give, and, you know, and, and we're faking it. This gets rid of faking it. So you confess your sins one to another, and you begin to draw close to God, and you remind yourself of his promises. You spend some time sitting down with God, eat dinner with God, and get close to Him, and listen to Him, and remind yourself of His promises. Go to prayer, get back to the heart and mind of Christ, and with Christ's help, you put all the other things back in their proper place. You recognize where they go, and you start putting them away. We had Ellie at our house last Sunday, which meant everything was out of its proper place, because she's only two, and she thinks life is about her, and there's a room that's got toys in it, and she always says, Papa, Let's go get toys. I'll get toys. And I say, yeah, go ahead. She goes, no, you come with me. And we go in and we get buckets of toys and we throw them all over the house. And she doesn't play with them, but she throws them all over the house. And that way our house is all messed up. And then when she leaves, we have to put everything back in its proper place. We have to go around and pick it up. Right now, a lot of you just need to go around in your life and begin to look and say, you know, things are out of whack. I've got sports up here when it should be down here. See, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't watch sports, and I'm not telling you you shouldn't go to dance, and I'm not telling you that you shouldn't work or any of those things. I'm telling you that those shouldn't be your number one priority, that your number one priority has to be Christ, and your life centers around Him and everything He wants you to do. And if there's time for a little bit of football over here, that's great. But you don't make that your priority. You get Jesus back in the center of your life. Seek to live a life that reflects and honors God by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. This is the culture of the church. And I believe it's vital that we live these out daily in every aspect of our lives. This is not a suggestion. And this isn't something that a few people should do. And this isn't stuff that pastors should do. This is stuff that all of us are called to do. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Is he? I mean, seriously, answer that question. Only you know. And don't sit there and lie to yourself. My goodness. My goodness. Life's way too short to lie to yourself and live in bondage. Disciples all left the upper room that day, and they spread out through the world, and the world was changed forever. Nothing was ever the same. They left, and they, with Jesus at the center of life, went out and began to choose others to go with them to serve they picked up a crowd they picked up people along with them they they brought them alongside them they went out and they began to serve together they never did life alone their focus was jesus only jesus and they lived that out by concentrating on one thing doing what jesus wanted to be done because less is more they didn't do everything the world said they needed to do because they knew that if they did that, that Jesus would be pushed aside. So they did what Jesus wanted them to do, period. That's all it mattered. Less was more. They learned and they grew and they 
passed it on to others. They, they did what Jesus told them to do. They made disciples. They practiced be a student and a teacher. And they invited the world to come and to know Jesus. They invited them in. They multiplied the church by invitation. They didn't hide it under a bushel. They didn't say, well, you know, we don't know if anybody else would want to be a part of it. They took it to everybody and they told everybody, come on in. In fact, it went so far as they crossed the line and they began to invite in Gentiles and you and I get to be included. Aren't you glad about that? They gave of their lives. They loved others as Jesus loved them, even giving their lives for others. Some hung on a cross. Some were killed by animals and some were beheaded and some were boiled in oil, but they gave their lives because they believed that they were a giving people. And they served meals. The Bible says that they were serving meals and the Greek widows and the Jewish widows were complaining because some were getting more than others. And they said, you know, we're, we're doing all this and we want to keep doing it, but we can't do it by ourselves. And so they invited some others <laughs> to come in alongside them and work with them. And, and they, they started giving them the permission to do that so they could get back to doing some of the other things they were called to do. But, but they served meals and they clothed the naked and they healed the sick. The Bible says that Peter and John walking out and going to synagogue one day or going to the temple one day and a man who was uh, begging on the side, asking for help. And they said, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do, we give to you. And they healed them in the name of Jesus. They, they passed on the power of the Christ's love. They clearly lived out, save people, serve people. And boy, they prayed. The Bible teaches that. This shows it in Acts where they had these great prayer meetings and the rooms were shaken. They sought the heart and the mind of Jesus until the power from on high landed on them and on others and it spread across the world. By the way, during that time, they didn't even have a Bible. This, like we know it, didn't come until 350 years later. But it still got done. Isn't that awesome? And I believe that prayer equals power. And that's our example. And that's not, a, that, that, that's not a suggestion, that's a mandate from Jesus. I believe, folks, this is the culture that God wants for His church. Amen. Stand together. Nathan's going to lead us. I don't know if anybody wants to pray. I don't know, maybe you need to put Jesus back at the center of your life today. Maybe you just got a situation and you go, man, I haven't spent much time praying and I need to begin. And the altar's a great place to do that. I don't know, if anything, but... I know one thing, that Christ is here, and he would love to meet with you right now. Jesus is walking these aisles. His Holy Spirit is here, and he'd love to be there, meet with you, whatever your situation, whatever's going on. I invite you right now to come and pray if you want to, and uh, we're going to be done here in just a moment. But right now, I don't know of anything more important than saying, okay, God, you're in charge. I want you at the center. I want to begin to live this out, and you're welcome to come right now. Maybe this week you gave your heart to Christ. It'd be a good way to make a public demonstration to go and say, I'm going to go pray and just say, hey, I gave my life to Christ this week. Maybe this week you had a situation and God healed you, touched you, met your need. It'd be a great way to come down and say thank you today. So whatever God's saying to you today, I want you to do it. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Father, right now, thank you. Thank you for the mandate to put you at the very center because when we put you at the center of life, it works. So, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Help us to become a praying church, a church where we pray. 
a church where we gather together and where it's not just a, a couple of words and then we don't know what else to say, but Lord, where we pray and where we bring to you all the concerns, all the pro uh, problems, and know that you are going to meet them. And I believe that. So Lord, right now, make us a praying church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.